Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research, will cover part six of a 10-part series on the six days of creation. Here's Dr. Morris. Well, right off the bat, on the beginning of the third day, God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. Now remember, it was on the third day that he separated the waters from the dry land, prepared the clocks on day four, And now on day five, when he creates life, apparently the first life that he created was the life in the waters. Water-based life is the only category singled out for survival by omission from the great judgment of the global flood. Evidently, when God created the air and the water creatures on day five, he paid some particular attention to the abundance of life that would fill the waters in the seas. Much of what we call life lives in the ocean and in the lakes and the rivers of our planet. Most of us know that the oceans cover over 70% of the Earth's surface. But what is often not understood is that the habitable volume of a sea life is nearly 300 times more than the area that is available for land animals. Some oceans and lakes are actually pretty deep. There are approximately 30,000 different species of land animals. That's about the same number as the diverse species of fish. But when you add in the rest of the various water-based things, the living number jumps to well over 200,000. These water creatures, plus the nearly 10,000 species of birds, make day five a really busy day. God was not using hyperbole when he said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. You know, the capture of necessary oxygen underwater is a very different process, either with birds with tube-like lungs or with animals with billows-like lungs. Fish and many marine invertebrates like clams rake in the oxygen from water flowing through gills. When a fish or a clam opens its mouth, It sucks water and some goop into and past a system of filters that sift out the goop, and once past these filters, the water passes over the gills. These gills are amazing, multifaceted devices. Bony pieces that hang in the middle of the fish's mouth support a very thin layer of filaments called lamellae. These rows of disc-like filters collect the oxygen, Within these laminae are numerous capillaries that exchange the oxygen for carbon dioxide, allowing the fish to breathe. The oxygen goes into the bloodstream and the carbon dioxide goes back out in the water. Clever, yes? Actually, this is not only clever, but absolutely necessary. Water contains less than 5% of the oxygen that is available in air. So gills have to work more efficiently than lungs. 
Scientists have discovered that gills are able to get about 85% of the available oxygen out of the water that flows through and over them. This is much better than humans can do with our lungs. Furthermore, if we had gills like fish, we would not survive on land. Gills require the buoyancy of water to function. <laughs> Many water creatures don't have gills. Starfish breathe through their feet and through small breathing tubes distributed all over their bodies. Marine worms, and boy, there are lots of them, breathe through their skin. Everything that lives in water is designed to function in water and with just the right equipment to make life work. Even the air-breathing marine animals like whales and porpoises and seals and walruses have specialized nostrils and lungs and muscles and other equipments that function best in water. Hard to imagine how any of these creatures might have just happened. And the oceans and the lakes and the rivers of our world are full of an amazing different variety of life. Just as the gills and other forms of oxygen-gathering organisms differ widely by body type, environment, and lifestyle, so do the outer coverings. Scales are common enough, but there's a vast difference among scaly creatures. Some scales are really big, two or three inches across. Some are microscopic and feel just like slick skin, but are still scales. There are scales made out of bone and out of dentition and out of cartilage. Some scales have razor-sharp edges down the center and on the sides. Others are flat and curved and rounded and elongated. There are lots and lots of different kinds of scales. Many creatures living in the water have skin, such as the octopi and the squid and the cuttlefish. Others, like leels and lampreys, are less known specifically for their covering, but wild stories abound about their terrible teeth. Thousands of water creatures have external skeletons, no scales, no skins, just hard, crusty stuff on the outside. The marine invertebrates comprise the so-called Cambrian explosion of life, fully formed, just like they are today. And except for the extinct forms, which also appeared on the fossil record fully formed, they are all perfectly fit and happily functioning in their modern environments, just as though they were designed to be there. We're going to take a short break. Dr. Morris will have more on this important topic in a moment. From sharks to butterflies, bats to orangutans, we can't help but marvel at the stunning and amusing creatures God has made. If you and your kids enjoy learning about animals, then you'll love our book, Guide to Animals, with its beautiful, full-color images and fascinating facts. Published by the Institute for Creation Research, Guide to Animals provides answers to many popular questions about the animal kingdom. How do chameleons change colors? How do jellyfish live without a brain? And what happened to the dinosaurs and other extinct animals? Guide to Animals shows how everything that can slither, crawl, soar, or swim displays the handiwork of God. Order your copy of Guide to Animals from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Morris. Well, as you remember, God said that He created, and some of the older translations, like the King James, say, great whales. The word there really is better translated monster. It's most often translated dragon in the rest of the Scripture. 
But whatever God created on day five in the water was a pretty large animal of some sort that we would really designate some kind of a big monster. In Genesis 1.21, the King James Version of the Bible translates the Hebrew word taniyim as whales. That leads to an unfortunate misunderstanding in a reader's mind, since the word is elsewhere, as we said, dragon or serpent or monster, as it should be. The fossil record contains some rather startling bones of huge marine animals. Several types of extinct plesiosaur are known. The Elasimonstaurus, a long neck, and Kronosaurus were about 50 feet long and are among the more famous. Their fossil bones fit the description of sea monster pretty well. Then there are the Mosasaurus, which range in size from 10 feet to 50 feet. The Institute for Creation Research has a Mosasaur skull in its collection. It's about four and a half feet long and nearly three feet wide. The skull has segregated jaws and a double rows of teeth. Sea monster indeed. Any one of these fossils could have been the ancestor of the living Leviathan that God himself describes to Job during their discourse in Job 38-41. One land dinosaur and one marine creature were certainly alive at the time of Job, who was a contemporary of Abraham. Listen to God's description of the sea monster. Who can open the doors of his faith? With his terrible teeth all around, his rows of his scales or his pride— Shut him up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can get between them. They're joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go sharp burning light. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils. as like a boiling pit and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They're firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as a heart is the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid, because of his crashings they are beside themselves. And though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail. Nor does spear or dart or javelin he regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingstones will become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp potsherds. His spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot and makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On the earth there is nothing like him which me is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Well, now we've got a problem. If modern scholars are right, and this creature is nothing more than a crocodile, then God is confused about what he created. The words of this biblical text do not describe a crocodile. The awesome marine creature described by God to Job is much different from any animal about which we have any kind of current knowledge. Now, yes, this is in some form of an epic poem, and it, there's repeated metaphor here, but it talks about an animal that is enormous and fearsome and tough to bring down. That's not anything that we know about today. It is remarkable that in every culture from just about every recorded era, there are stories about sea monsters. While these stories don't prove the existence of sea monsters, 
There are similarities that run through many of the accounts that often match elements of what God described to Job. When God said the waters were to abound with an abundance of living creatures, he wasn't kidding. Everything from the tiny creepy crawlies at the bottom to the humongous sea monsters that we read about today, the oceans are full of amazing creatures. We're still discovering new creatures today, and everywhere we look, they seem to fit just perfectly exactly where God intended them to be. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.